Tonight, I hear voices theatre company in association with Spanner House of Horror and Professor Newell's electric washboard refettling services presents a tale of sphincter-shattering heredity and vicarious annihilations. Yes, conceived by the writers of Mary Poppins' The Glasgow Flophouse Years, featuring such unforgettable sing-along classics as Get High as a Kite, Feed the Habit, and A Spoonful of Heroin, crafted by the directors of such boys' own wartime classics as Bridge on the River Cone, Lawrence of Kittyminster, and Biggles Takes It Like a Man. And cashed in on by the producer of The Nazis, A Warning from Basingstoke. You are cordially invited to shudder with middle-class British embarrassment at A Ghost Story for Christmas. And now a word from our sponsors. Wood. Thank you. I'm still not finished yet. My apologies. Yes, Wood. Are you in search for material that's strong, durable and fun for all the family? Then you need wood. Yes, wood comes in a variety of sizes and costs, suitable for every level of stupidity. Why not surprise Grandad with wood? Holy nuts! Yes, wood has a range of applications from underwear and tasty treats to murder and the creation of cursed grotesque carvings, just waiting to wreak supernatural, cellulose-based vengeance on unsuspecting godbrotherers the world over. Yes, Wood. Available from Carpenters, Participating Forests, and all the Hollywood performances of Rex Harrison. <laughs> and remember, only genuine Wood makes this sound. <laughs> yes, Wood. A Himmler-Krippen-Haig product. Now read on. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Card. Valentine Card. The legs of radio. The man in charcoal grey, and the home service's voice for all things unspeakably horrid and non-specifically vile. Tonight, it is my dubious pleasure to announce in glorious, trouser-filling terror vision that which was, is, and might well again be the Storms of Tarchester Cathedral. Christmas is a time of recollection, a time of ritual, a time for hack creativity and lazy formulaic repetition shamelessly passed off as seasonal profundity. And trust me, I really should know about all that by now. It is therefore a time for ghost stories. Perhaps the greatest master of the art of the British ghost story was Montague Rhodes Jim, medievalist, antiquary, Provost of Screaming King's College, Oxbridge, and winner of the college's award for the most creative excuse for lecturing nude throughout Michaelmas term, six horribly pendulous years running. For almost 20 years, Montague Rhodes Jim also presided over gatherings of the Chitwag Society, where the wittiest, prettiest, and often blondest of undergraduates meet in the Provost rooms in the dying hours of Christmas Eve for fine sherry, erudite witticism, and some of the finest rough shag money can buy. Shall we listen in? 
And so I said to the Master of Trinity, simply because it is depicted in the illuminations of the Lutteral Psalter, it does not follow it is legally recreatable with two first-year boys, a Tiffany lamp, and the Vice-Chancellor's pet mongoose. How witty! How witty! Thank you, thank you very much, my dear boys. Now then, the hour approaches for our regular Christmas Eve entertainment. Is it already time to strip the bursar naked? Well, I am... Um, Enforce him screaming inside a Chesterfield armchair? Uh, uh, no, no, I, I speak of the other Christmas Eve entertainment. The Black Minstrel Show? Yes, well, perhaps later. But first, I would like, if you will indulge me, to relate to you the ghost story. The ghost story? What a ripping idea. Yes, Monty, the ghost story. Yes, the ghost story. Then gluing people forcibly inside leather furniture. And blacking up. Yes, well, all right, but that's the evening agreed upon. We shall commence with the story. Our protagonist, let us call him Dr. Baines. On second thoughts, let us call him Finti Papatua Flipgate Spatchcock III. No! Let us not call him that. Who the devil are you? I am the narrator. I think we'll find that I am the narrator of this story. Perhaps. But I am the overarching narrator. Well, you, you are very tall. Yes, aren't I? And here's a friendly warning to the curious. Don't get too silly in this one or I shall be forced to intervene. And you wouldn't want that. Why not? Because you'll be spending the whole evening talking to yourself now, won't you? <laughs> oh, yes. <clears throat> yes well, I suppose that, that would be a bit of a bore, um, <clears throat> I confess. All right, I shall call him Dr. Baines after all. Better. Now get on with it. But I'm keeping an eye on you. Very well. The matter began, as far as I am unconcerned, with the hearing of a notice in the Lost Cat's discreet rubber coating services and novelty obituaries section of Titbit's phonographic magazine for the adventurously futuristic mid-19th century edition. Indeed, I still possess a wax cylinder of the obit here. It's um, a spirited piece of character assassination from the adenoids of their ecclesiastical explorations editor, Matthias Fringe. On February 26th, at his residence in the cathedral close of Tarchester, the venerable John Bendwell Baines, aged 57 and loose change, archdeacon of Salford and rector of Dick Hill and the nicer parts of Roe Hedge, was discovered irretrievably stiffened. He was of Ponk College, Cambridge and where, by talent and variable personal hygiene, he commanded the fear of his seniors. When, at the usual time, he took his first degree, his name stood high in the list of idiots. These academical honors procured for him, within a short time, a fellowship of his college, three pianofortes, and a stoat named Basil. In the year 1783, he took holy orders, secular propositions, and musical theatre requests, and was shortly afterwards presented to the perpetual curacy of pants on sub trousers by his friend and Latin dance partner, the late truly venerable Bishop of Barking. Dr. Ben's speedy preferments, first to a pre bend, then to a U bend, and 
subsequently to the dignity of pre-centre in the Cathedral of Tarchester, form an eloquent testimony to the contempt in which he was held and to his eminent qualifications. He succeeded to the Archdeaconry of Tarchester upon the sudden annihilation of Archdeacon Poultry in 18... But I fear we are getting ahead of ourselves. Perhaps I shall do better to keep back the remainder of the narrative until I have told the circumstances which led to it. These, as far as they are accessible, I have derived from another source. I had encountered the obituary notice, which you heard quite by chance. It had excited little speculation in my mind, beyond thinking that if I ever had the opportunity of examining the local records of the period indicated, I would try to remember Dr. Baines. For years, I made no particular effort to pursue his case. However, quite lately, I was cataloguing the manuscripts in the library of the college, to which Dr. Baines belonged, when the librarian, Dickie Jackdaw, brought something most curious and unusual to my attention. Ah, Monty. I see you've reached the end of the numbered volume. Yes, indeed, Dickie, indeed. Uh, are there any more books you think I ought to include in my description? Well, I don't think there are, but we'd better go and look at the manuscript class and make sure. Uh, have you time to do that now? Oh, why not? Why not? The, uh, the Red Lion won't be open for an hour or two. Why not? <laughs> so, um, do you have anything... Interesting in manuscripts? Not a great deal. Its contents consist for the most part of sermons, bundles of fragmentary paper, college exercises, arcane manuscripts bound in human skin, containing incantations to open portals to unspeakable dimensions of hell. Pretty much the usual stuff. Yeah, yeah, pitchy, pitchy. Oh, and we do have The Milkman of Wivenhoe by Mule, an epic poem in 14,000 interminable cantos, the product of a country or job man's industrious leisure. Any good? For the alleviation of insomnia, possibly. However, I do have something here which you might find of greater curiosity given your predilection for the unquiet. Dusty old steel box. Read the label. Uh, papers of the venerable Archdeacon Baines, bequeathed in 18 Swingley Square by his sister, Miss Letitia Baines, I say. Thought that might pique your curiosity. That, that must be the Archdeacon Baines, who came to a very odd end at Tarchester. Well, you did mention his obit. May I take the box home, just, just for a loan? It'll be my guess. Uh, most people here don't know anything about it, and the ones who do, well... The ones who do, I think they'd be quite happy to be shot of it. Do you know if there's anything interesting in it? I've never looked inside it myself, but I've always been meaning to. I am pretty sure that is the box which our old master once said ought never to have been accepted by the college. He said that years ago, just before encasing it in concrete, locking it in a steel box, chaining it shut and sinking it to the bottom of the lake for 50 years, below a 60-foot danger sign which read, Never, never open this box under any circumstances whatsoever. If you value your life and sanity. 
Shall we open it then? Can't see any reason why not. But as I have to go away to Cambridge for this afternoon, you'd better have a crack at it yourself. I think I can trust you not to publish anything undesirable in our catalogue. No, Dickie, you know me, old love. And the very soul of discretion. Now, pass me those bolt cutters and the Vice-Chancellor's pneumatic drill. Right there. Having removed the concrete, I took the box home and examined its contents. The materials were mainly journals and letters. Uh, that, I fancy, is enough of the background detail of how I chanced upon the papers of the late Dr. Baines. Let us begin the story properly and turn to that initial and fateful meeting between the newly installed presenter, Dr. Baines, and the aged, and it has to be said, worryingly eccentric, Archdeacon Poultry. Good evening, cocky. Good evening, Archdeacon Poultry, I presume. It's a pleasure to meet you, sir. Is it? No. Good. Good. Well, now, come in, young man. Come in. Take the weight off your curates. Well, now, I expect you're wondering... I, I expect I, I'm wondering why I, I sent for you. I... <laughs> Did I send for you? Uh, yes. I am the new presenter, Dr. Baines. Dr. Baines? Oh, no, no, no. Now, I think you have me confused with someone else. I, Archdeacon Poultry. No, I, I know. I'm Dr. Baines. Oh, you're Dr. Baines. Yes. Now, how funny. Now, there was a young man going by that name here only a moment ago. Yes, that was me. Oh, so you met him too. <laughs> what did he want? Shall we start again? Only if you wish. All right, then. I'm... Would you care for a sycamore? Uh, uh, no, thank you. I'm trying to give them up. Doctor's orders. Pity. Uh, pity. You don't mind if I cut one down, do you? Uh, please, please do go ahead. Thank you. It uh, steadies my nerves, you know. Oh, oh, that's better. Filthy habit, I know, but what can one do? What can one do? We're martyrs for it in Tarchester, you know. <laughs> You're new here, are you? I'm Dr. Baines, Tarchester Cathedral's new presenter. Oh, well, that's nice, isn't it? Yes, and as such, it shall be my pleasure to prepare your services, organise the cathedral's liturgy and worship, lead the choir and perform any other sundry duties of humble administration and aggressively forward-thinking management that your office may desperately require until such time as your own duties pass to a younger, more robust and saner man. I see. 
<laughs> I see. So, uh, Master Danes. Dr. Bane. <laughs> him too, him too. Tell me a little um, about yourself. I assume you've poured over my particulars. No! How dare you, sir? Do you take me for a Jesuit? I mean you've examined my curriculum vitae. Oh, that's, well, um, uh, possibly. Um, are you any good? Well, my sermons are ever conformable to the principles of the religion and church which I adorn, displayed in no ordinary degree without the least trace of enthusiasm. The refinement of the scholar united with the graces of the Christian and the tedium of the pub bore. Free from sectarian violence, women and interest, and informed by the spirit of the truest irrelevance, they will long dwell in the indifference of all those who slept so peacefully through them. Ah, good, good. That's very, um, uh, good. <laughs> the very word. The very word indeed. Anything else, Cocky? The productions of my pen include the beginnings of the defense of episcopy. Uh, my published works are so far confined to a spirited and elegant version of the Pantanautica of Williarus Flaccidus, a volume of discourses upon the several lunch appointments in the life of Joshua, and an extensive codex of the knock-knock jokes of St. Paul. All delivered, if I do say so myself, in a delightful contrast to the polite indifference displayed by too many of our Anglican dignitaries at the present time. Oh, well, that's, um, that's very good. Very good indeed. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> tell me, uh, Professor Baines... Dr. Baines. <laughs> him too, him too. What is your position on the larch? Well, excuse me. The larch? What is your position on it? Um, well... That is to say, I, I don't think I have a... The larch, you say? The larch, I say. I'm sorry, I don't quite see the relevance. Well, as a presenter, you get asked lots of questions. Lots of very important questions indeed. And it's imperative that the Anglican Church maintains a unified position on all matters arboreal. I mean, what wouldn't happen if, if a parishioner asked you about your view on the larch and you couldn't answer? Or worse still, your opinion was in direct contradiction to Vitruvius. That could be very inconvenient. Very inconvenient, indeed. Yes, yes, I imagine it would. It's a conifer, you know. Yet deciduous. Is it? Is it? Oh, yes. Very tricky, the large. Very tricky indeed, ecumenically speaking. Are you sure I can't, uh, can't tempt you to a sycamore? Well, uh, maybe, all right, but just the one. A wise choice. There you go, cocky.
The archdeacon's house almost faces the west front of the church and is a fine red brick building of William III's time. Across the cathedral close, in the more modest surroundings of the presenter's house, Dr. Baines was swiftly installed. The good doctor, already a mature man, took up his abode with his spinster sister, Letitia, and their maid, Nancy. Oh, Letitia, how are you settling in? Quite well, Johnny, quite well. The rooms here are a trifle small, but a Christian doesn't complain. I have already begun to make some most charming acquaintances amongst the ladies of the parish. Good, good. Are you fully unpacked yet? Begging your pardon, sir, but I've ironed and hung all of Miss Letitia's dresses. Do be quiet, Nancy. Johnny, you should not speak so roughly to the staff. Yes, well, perhaps I'm a little distracted by the work ahead. Perhaps. But, Johnny, you haven't asked me what I'm doing this afternoon. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, what, uh, what are you doing this afternoon? I'm most glad you asked unprompted. I'm attending my first meeting of the Lady Cyclists Association, Tarchester and Hackingforth Branch, of course. Of course. Uh, you must have your causes, mustn't you, dear Letitia? There is nothing wrong with a lady possessing causes. And the cause of Lady Cycling is the finest one to which I have cleaved this year alone. Oh, I'm quite sure of that. Oh, Johnny, do not mock so. Lady Cycling is quite the way forward. I tell you, there is nothing so fine as a young, healthy woman with a dandy horse or penny farthing clamped firmly betwixt her pumping thighs. No suspension, a hard leather saddle, the wind in her skirts, racing along at almost twice, yes, a whole twice walking pace. Imagine it, dear Johnny, the incalculable freedom. I shall tie my hair back, mount a bone shaker with another lady, perhaps two. I'm fettered by masculine society on a tandem or two-seater sociable. What liberation could our sisterhood achieve via the wonders of the velocipede? Hip, hip and a rate of that, ma'am. Oh, do be quiet, Nancy. The months passed, and records indicate that Dr. Baines made many exclamations upon the confusion in which Archdeacon Poultry was leaving the business of his office and the documents appertaining to it. The doctor's frustrations came to a head one morning in December. Archdeacon! Now you. Now you now. Well, that's very nice. Very nice indeed, but I think we already have one. No, sir, we went over this. You are the Archdeacon. Ah, oh, well, that would explain why we already have one. <laughs> Good day. Hello, cocky. My, do you have a twin brother? No. No, Your Grace. I fear I must raise the matter of the Jews upon Ringham and Cockwood. Oh, well, then I suppose one of you had better come in. Yes, yes, Ringham and Cockwood. Excellent parishes. Excellent parishes in both. Captain Wayne's, isn't it? Dr. Baines. Uh, yeah. Him too. <laughs> Him too. Now, where, where were we now? Ringham and Cockwood. Oh, no. No, I'm 
I'm fairly sure this is Tarchester. No, we were discussing Ringham and Cockwood and the matter of their overdue tithes. Ah, yes, the tithes. The tithes. Mm, I I think we're a little little behind with those. I I think it was raining last Thursday, perhaps, and uh, the verger, well, he he doesn't like getting wet. Uh, No, he doesn't like getting wet at all. It's his chest, you know. He has a terrible chest, the verger. As does his wife, but that is another matter. And collecting tides in a shower, well, that's... Um, they haven't very, been um, collected um, since 1728. Oh, well, that was a very long shower, wasn't it? Yes. Do you have any idea how much is owed by now? No, yes, yes, most certainly yes, yes. Do you? No. But I do have a little piece of paper. Now, where did I put that nice little piece of paper? Yes, a little piece of paper with all the details upon it. Where are you now? I'm sure I saw you somewhere in one of these piles, I'm sure. Ah, yeah, just, just here, near the bottom. Pull out that little corner, nice and carefully. Just ease it out gently. There we are. Are you all right there, Archdeacon? Never, never better, Cocky. Months passed, and all the while Dr. Baines became increasingly perturbed by the eccentricities of his superior. Oh, Letitia, it's intolerable. Intolerable, I say. The tithes have been uncollected for decades and are largely irrecoverable. No visitation has been held for countless years. Four chancels are almost past mending. His homilies are rambling beyond interpretation, and he insists upon wearing tartan carpet slippers, even when delivering a sermon. The persons deputised by the Archdeacon have been nearly as incapable as himself, and there is nothing, simply nothing I can do whilst he remains in office. But, Johnny, you haven't asked me what I'm doing today. (sighs) Yes, uh, yes indeed, what... um... What are you doing today, sweet sister? I am most glad you asked unprompted. (laughs) I'm attending a meeting of the Ladies' Rational Dress Society, Tarchester and Hackingforth Branch, of course. Are you sure that's an entirely appropriate occupation for an archdeacon's sister, dear Letitia? Don't you mean a presenter's sister? Oh, uh, yes, of course. But my point stands. There is nothing wrong with a lady possessing causes. And the cause of ladies' rational dress is the finest one to which I have cleaved this quarter alone. Oh, I'm quite sure of that. Oh, Johnny, do not mock so. Ladies' rational dress is quite the way forward. I tell you, there is nothing so fine. Imagine freedom of movement, an absence of pressure over any part of the body, not more weight than is necessary for warmth, with both weight and warmth evenly distributed. 
grace and beauty combined with comfort and convenience, and all not departing too conspicuously from the ordinary dress of the age. No tight-fitting corsets, no high-heeled shoes, no heavy-weighted skirts or deforming crinolines to render vigorous exercise impossible. I do hope this does not include the wearing of trousers by ladies. As a devout Anglican, I fear I cannot support such vile perversion. Perversion? Fie, Johnny! There is nothing more healthy than a young woman in a divided skirt or shorted by drawstrings unburdening her hoops. Imagine it, dear Johnny, the incalculable freedom. I shall crop my hair, wear loose jackets, bloomers, burn my taffeta petticoats, and run and ride with other ladies with a similar coarse-woven knickerbockers fixation. What liberation could our sisterhood achieve via the wonders of tweed bloomers? Oh, let me wear tweed bloomers too, Mom. Oh, do be quiet, Nancy. Months became years. Years became more years. And with another birthday approaching for his Methuselah-like employer, Dr. Baines began to wonder if he ever would attain the office of Archdeacon. And so, on the occasion of your 89th birthday, I would like to take this opportunity to wish you long life, Archdeacon Poultry. Well, thank you all, and thank you very much, young man. Virgil Rains, isn't it? Baines, Dr. Baines. Ah, him too, him too. Yes. Uh, Please accept this little inconsequential gift as a token of my appreciation for all your services to Tarchester Cathedral over the many, many years of your continual service. Oh, oh, well, thank you, young man. It's, uh, oh, it's very nicely wrapped. Very nicely wrapped indeed. Uh, I wonder what it can be. Now, let's just see. Let's just undo this lovely ribbon. Give it just a little squeeze. Oh, soft. Oh, a muffler, perhaps. Cutting the string. Fur gloves, maybe. Yeah. Just pull off the last tiny, naughty scrap of paper and... Oh, just what I wanted. A sweet little pussycat. Hello, little pussycat. <laughs> ah! 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 Oh, my, he's frisky, isn't he? What was that, your grace? This birthday of the Archdeacons set the tone for a number to come. And on the occasion of your 90th birthday, I would like to take this opportunity to wish you long life, Archdeacon Peltry. Well, thank you, and thank you very much, young man. Reverend Lanes, isn't it? Baines, Dr. Baines. <laughs> him too, him too. Yes. Please accept this little inconsequential gift as a token of my appreciation for all your services to Tarchester Cathedral over the many, many years of your seemingly unending service. There you go. 
Oh, oh well, um, thank you, young man. Oh, well, it's, it's very nicely wrapped. Very nicely wrapped indeed. I wondered what it can be. Now, it seems to be making a bit of a noise. Give it just a little shake. A shaving set, maybe. Oh, just open the box and... Uh, oh. Just what I wanted. A lovely little clock. But my, what are all these loose wires and big red sticks of toluene doing tied all around it? clock. <laughs> well, that will come in handy. What was that, your grace? <laughs> and eventually, years became decades. The garden lady showed on the south side. And on the occasion of your 91st birthday, I would like to take this opportunity to wish you Long life, Archdeacon Poultry. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, young man. Rector Baines, isn't it? Baines! Dr. Baines! <laughs> him too, him too. <laughs> yes. Please accept this little inconsequential gift as a token of my appreciation for your services to Tarchester Cathedral over the many, many years of your seemingly perpetual Perpetual service. Oh. <laughs> I have so many lovely things now. I, I really don't know what I might need. Indeed, Archdeacon, indeed. Which is why I have just decided henceforth to arrange only for you experiences. <laughs> just open the envelope and you'll see what a treat I've booked for you. Experiences? No, oh, delightfully modern. Oh, I wonder what this can be. Hmm, what is this bass jumping? I'm so glad you asked. Just step outside this bell tower door. Archdeacon Poultry? Archdeacon Poultry? Oh, yes, you're right. That wasn't fun. Oh, good. And so, Dr. Baines continued to gift Archdeacon Poultry with regular birthday experiences, including grand piano skiing... Active volcano bungee jumping. Oh, 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 and mixed martial arts cage fighting. 
Take that, you naughty fellow. Oh, thank heavens for wood. Yes. Yes, indeed. Thank heavens, Archdeacon. And thus, despite Dr. Bain's increasingly creative endeavours to position the Archdeacon closer to God, the Reverend Paltry's perennial inability to take up this suggested celestial promotion seemed to imply that the Almighty himself had divergent thoughts upon the matter. With the Archdeacon pushing 95, Dr. Baines had all but given up on his chance of preferment, until a meeting with the Archdeacon's maid, Christina Lee, suggested an alternative approach to the situation. Evening, your presenterness. Oh, uh, good evening, Miss Lee. My, my, you seem to have your hands full there. Oh, not a bit of it, sir, not a bit. Oh, he's just getting his badgers all nicely strangled, ready for dinner, sir. Oh, oh I see. Uh, you, you eat them? No. Ah, I see. No, just twist their heads off, sir, like nature intended. And two at once. How um, very efficient of you. Well, as my mother said, you got two ends, girl. What do you think these for? And I said, murdering stuff, ma'am. And she said, he's right, girl. What a wonderfully progressive parent. Ah, she was at that. Did you have a father? No. No. Not for long. God rest his spleen. But me man taught me everything a gal needs to know about badger strangling, stoke clubbing, otter peeling and pulling sheep inside out. Oh, pass me a couple more from the sack, will you, sir? There's still some little ones hiding near the bottom. Oh, by all means, by all means. Tell me, have you ever considered applying your terrifyingly specialist skills to anything a little larger? Larger, sir? Indeed, larger and perhaps older, more ecclesiastical. Well, I once bludgeoned a goat to death with its own legs, and I did combust a horse during Lent, but that was just for a jest, sir. Diligence and modesty, you are a rare jewel, Miss Lee. Oh, stop it, sir. You're making I turn quite red. No, no, I think that's just the badger entrail. Oh, pardon I, sir. You know what, Miss Lee? I think I might have a little job opportunity for you. A few weeks after he had held a modest festival in celebration of the Archdeacon's 95th birthday, there came a morning, late in the year, when Dr. Baines, hurrying cheerfully into his breakfast room, rubbing his hands and humming a tune, was greeted and checked in the genial flow of spirits by the sight of his sister, seated in her usual place behind the tea urn, but bowed forward and sobbing unrestrainedly into her lady's maid. Good Lord, Letitia, what's the matter? 
Why the streams of tears? You'll quite take the French polish off our parlour maid. Oh, don't mind me, sir. I've just been rewaxed. Oh, do be quiet, Nancy. Hmm. Letitia, why, what is the matter? What, bad news? Oh, Johnny, you've not heard the poor archdeacon. The archdeacon, oh, wonders. Uh, that is, oh, heavens. Uh, what is it? Uh, dead? I, I mean, ill? Bit of a sniffle? Lice, perhaps? Oh, John, they found him on the staircase this morning. It is so shocking. Letitia, how many times have I told you there is nothing shocking about staircases? They're a perfectly normal domestic architectural feature and in not in any way rude. No matter what mother might have maintained to the milkman. I do not refer to the staircase on this occasion. I refer to how he was discovered on it. Is it possible? Dear, dear, poor Reverend Poultry, have there been any seizure? They don't think so, and that is almost the worst thing about it. It seems to have been all the fault of that stupid maid of theirs, Christina Lee. I don't quite understand, Letitia. How was their maid at fault? Why, as far as I can make out, there was a stair rod missing, and she never mentioned it, and the poor archdeacon set his foot quite on the edge of the step. You know how slippery that oak is. When thoroughly wiped down in whale blubber, and, yes. And it seems he must have fallen almost the whole flight. Oh dear, fallen the whole flight to his timely death. Oh, but I'm sure we cannot blame poor Miss Lee for such simple oversight. That would be unchristian of us, dear sister. A stair rod is such an easy thing to misplace. Oh, no. The fall didn't kill the archdeacon. It didn't? I, I mean, uh, it didn't? No. And even if you cannot blame Miss Lee for the lax replacement of the stair rod... An easy omission. Or the electrified high-tension piano wire stretched across the step below. A trivial error. The primed bear trap beneath the carpet of the next. Oh, what parlourmaid hasn't left one of those out by mistake? Before the precarious mutually supporting pair of razor-sharp halberds precisely positioned at average male neck height. An unfortunate gothic revivalist affectation. And coated in arsenic. A maid can never be too zealous. Which in combination with the blubbering trough of prussic acid and crate of sweating nitroglycerin below those. Such praiseworthy dedication to domestic hygiene. Exploded the poor reverend clean into the awaiting blades of the whirling steam threshing machine, which I most assuredly do blame Miss Lee for leaving unattended and in full pelt operation upon the first floor landing. Flaying in righteous celebration of Harvest Festival, one can be sure. Perhaps. Well, I can imagine all that would have finished him off quite nicely. I mean, um, comprehensively. Oh no, he survived that quite happily. Then what? Oh, John, it was the wheat. Oh, eating the hopper, the archdeacon was... He was... Whilst I am most encouraged by your emphatic use of the past tense at this juncture, the archdeacon was what? Gluten intolerant. <laughs> Great galloping dietary horrors of joy. Oh, but it is so sad for his daughter, poor Miss Poultry, to be orphaned so young. How old was she? Eighty-three. You see... You see a mere crone in arms. Of course, they will get rid of the girl at once. I never liked her. Miss Poultry? Christina Lee. Oh, and the poor reverend. Such a kind, generously baffled gentleman. Cut down in the very prime of his senility. 
I shall never forget him. Never, 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 never. What's for breakfast? Kippers and kedgery, ma'am. Oh, do be quiet, Nancy. I need only add that the egregiously homicidal Miss Lee was dismissed forthwith, and that the missing stair rod was very shortly afterwards found under the stair carpet, an additional proof, if any were needed, of extreme stupidity and most thorough carelessness on her part. For a good many years, Dr. Baines had been marked out by his ability, which seemed to have been really considerable, as the likely successor to Archdeacon Poultry. And so, with no disappointment was in store for him, he was duly installed and entered with zeal upon the discharge of those functions which are appropriate to one of his position. However, that is not the end of my story. Rather, the beginning of a far more disquieting narration, culminating in... Culminating in what? Yes, what, Monty? Is this where the scary bit starts? Yes, it's all been lovely and violent so far, but not really scary. All excellent points, my dear boys, and one which I fancy I shall address after a short intermission. Oh, Monty! A short intermission, that is, for drinkies. Sherry, anyone? Sherry! 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 Sherry!